Okay, welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here uh, at Blackhawk Church. So uh, on this day, Survey Sunday, thanks for everybody uh, to taking uh, the survey. Really appreciate that. Welcome to those of you who are with me in this room and those of you who are watching uh, me on a screen, perhaps in one of the other venues here at Brader Way, or you're watching on a screen at Savannah Oaks Middle School, uh, Blackhawk Fitchburg, or you're watching on a screen at the Upper House, Blackhawk downtown. So good to be with all of you. And those of you who are in our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, which means peace to all brothers and sisters. We are continuing in our series as we're going through the gospel of uh, the book of Mark. And we're calling this series, The Unexpected Kingdom. And uh, if you have not been with us uh, for all of the series, or uh, maybe you've missed uh, a a Sunday or two, maybe this is your first time uh, here listening to one of these uh, talks, let me kind of bring you up to speed as to where we're at uh, right now in the series. I'm going to do that by going back to the very first verse in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark tells us right away what this uh, Gospel is about. He writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So right right out of the gate, right out of the gate, Mark says, this is about Jesus, and he is the Messiah, the Son of God. So the reader knows right away what Mark is up to. Then Jesus uh, has a message that he's sharing with everyone, and here is the message. And it's also in Mark chapter 1, the time has come, he said, I'm the Messiah, get on board. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He said, the time has come, and then read this with me. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The message that Jesus is sharing is not, I'm the Messiah. That's not the message. This is the message. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He is not talking right out of the gate about the fact that he's the Messiah. He's talking about the coming of the kingdom. He's going to demonstrate with his teaching and with his miracles who he actually is. Obviously, the reader knows who he is. Obviously, Jesus knows who he is. But he wants the people to put that together on their own. Oh my, look what he's saying and look what he's doing. He must be the Messiah. That's what he's doing as he's going about from place to place. And this is an unexpected plan. The people that he was going to, they would have thought if he's the Messiah, he's just going to come right out and say so. That was what they thought. But his plan is unexpected. He doesn't go to the power center of Jerusalem. He goes to Galilee, and the people that follow him, that's also unexpected. He doesn't get the elite to follow him, the leaders of the religious, the Jewish religion. He doesn't get those people. Who does he get? He gets the, the riffraff. <laughs> he gets the like normal people. He gets like fishermen to follow him. Fishermen, you know, have you ever gone fishing? Fish smell. He gets people who smell to follow him. He gets tax collectors to follow him. He gets all kinds of different people. This is an unexpected group of people that would follow the Messiah. This is all unexpected. They wouldn't expect that this is the kind of thing he would do. 
Now today, in the book of Mark, we're going to take a turn. Because what Mark is going to do for us is going to demonstrate what kind of fuel powers this kingdom. If Jesus is the Messiah and you're a Jewish person and you expect him to come, what kind of power would you expect Jesus to have? You would expect him to have, like, awesome power. Like, you know, the kind of power it's going to take to kick the Romans out of Galilee. You know, that kind of power. So we're talking about money. We're talking about military might. We're talking about the people who are really powerful would be on his team. How are you guys doing with this? Am I yelling? Are you guys following me? If you're going to do something politically, you guys, you guys need money. You guys figured that out yet? Don't we have like this election next year and that kind of stuff? You can see this happening right now in the field of the Democratic candidates. Those people who are not able to collect the kind of money and power, they're dropping. Boom, 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 boom. They're dropping. You're not going to become president of the United States without money and power. Everybody, is that right? Yes, yes, yes. That's not how Jesus' kingdom works. It's completely different. You would expect that, but that's not what powers his kingdom. What powers his kingdom is faith. That's what powers his kingdom. And the funny thing about faith is the most unpowerful people can actually have faith. People who have like disease, people who are, who are weak, children can have faith. Even women can have faith. Back in that day, women had no power. So what Mark is going to do now is he's going to tell us that not only was the plan unexpected, not only the people that follow, but the power that powers this kingdom of the Messiah. That's also unexpected. It's not might. It's faith. And he'll demonstrate that in some very cool stories. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark, chapter 5, verse 21. Mark 5, 21. I'm so excited right now, I can hardly stand it. <laughs> these, these stories are unbelievable. Get ready. Here we go. I'll try to calm down. 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. All right, let's set this geographically. So he says Jesus goes to the, crosses over to the other side of the lake. Now, if you remember Pastor Matt's message from last week, you notice that Jesus got in a boat and he went along the Sea of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, to the other side of the lake. Let's look at the map. Last week, we saw that Jesus went from like the Capernaum area to this area called the Decapolis. And as Matt explained, the Decapolis was not the Jewish side of the lake. It was the Gentile side of the lake. 
Jesus performs some cool miracles. He gets in a boat, and now he's going back to the Jewish side of the lake. It doesn't say Capernaum, but probably in that area. So as he gets to the Jewish side of the lake, he gets out of the boat, and he walks around, and this synagogue leader comes to him. One of the synagogue's leaders, his name is Jairus. Now, synagogues were these places in Jewish communities where like, they were like community centers. And so you did, uh, you gathered there for all kinds of teaching and learning and, and all kinds of different things. It was the center of the Jewish community. And they elected officials, and the officials then would kind of make sure the programs in that Jewish center were run properly. Jairus was one of those. Now, he comes to Jesus, and his attitude that he has towards Jesus is one of great humility. You notice what he does as he approaches Jesus. He fell at his feet. He pleaded with him earnestly. As some of you have asked in this series, uh, Pastor Chris, uh, do, do, uh, do any of the Jewish leaders believe in him? The answer is what? Yes. Yeah, here's an example right here. Not a lot, and Mark will show us more do, but he's focusing on this particular Jewish leader right now. He's risking his reputation right now by falling at the feet of Jesus. And then he makes a request. What's his request? Please come and put your hands on her. Jairus is demonstrating what? Let me ask you that question again. Jairus is demonstrating what? Faith. Faith in the words of Jesus. What promise does Jesus make to Jairus? The answer is? The answer is nada, nothing. He's demonstrating his faith in the person of Jesus. How are you guys doing? Following? This is a great story, isn't it? Let's continue. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Stop, 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 stop. What's happening here? I thought this was a story about Jairus. But all of a sudden, Mark kind of just cuts that story in half and inserts another story about this woman who has this bleeding disease. Have we seen this before? The answer is? That wasn't a very big yes. There was. It's the cookie, you guys. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is called a sandwich, according to the Nabisco people. A chocolate sandwich. And they take a piece of chocolate and they cut it in half and they insert a middle, a very delicious middle inside of this. In literary terms, Mark is doing what he's famous for, and that's, this is called an intercalation. It's a sandwich structure. He starts with the story of Jairus. He cuts that story in half. He's going to come back to Jairus, but in the middle, he inserts a completely different story. How are you guys doing with this? We'll see this very thing next week as Pastor Ben preaches. Mark is famous for this. What do all of these elements have in common? People 
humbly have faith in the Messiah. Jairus, and now this woman. And this woman is desperate. She has a, a bleeding disorder. The text doesn't tell us exactly what that is. But in the Hebrew culture, if you had a bleeding disorder, ceremonially, you would be unclean. That is, ceremonially, no one really should touch you at all because you have a bleeding disorder. There's all kinds of laws in the Torah about this. So she would have been a complete outcast in her society. And uh, was she getting any luck from the medical community? The answer is, and how much money did she spend to get some... What? what? How much money? All she, all she had, all of it. So how much money does this woman have? Nothing. She is diseased, she is an outcast, and she is poor. Anybody see what Mark is doing here? She's on the outside. That means she's a perfect candidate to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see that? Because people who should be on the inside are on the outside. And people who are on the outside in that community, ooh, those are those Jesus kind of people. And she's on the outside of her culture. But she's making her way into the family of God. This is the kind of people Jesus likes. Let's continue to read. I jumped up and down right there. I should stop right then. This is a cool, watch this, watch this. Watch this, this is so cool. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Why? Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Oh, my gosh. She is demonstrating what before she ever touches him. Faith. She's worked this out in her mind. It's like magic to her. She's saying, if I can just touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. This is a woman of great faith. And she touches, and what happens? She's when? Immediately. What healed her? It was her faith. Jesus actively does nothing. He does nothing. Well, he does something. I mean, power comes from him. <laughs> but that's the point that Mark is making. He's not actively doing anything. Look at verse 30. At once, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? He doesn't know. You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and, ooh, 
fell at his feet. Who else fell at his feet? And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is a remarkable scene. This is a remarkable scene. One of the reasons it's a remarkable scene is that because it demonstrates the fact that uh, Jesus has two natures in one person. The theological word for this is, he, is the hypostatic union of these two different natures. Jesus is divine and Jesus is human. She's healed because the divine nature of Jesus has that ability. And so she's, she leverages that. But Jesus is also human. He doesn't know who, oh, Pastor Chris, well, surely he knew. No, he didn't know. That's what the text is clearly saying. He's a human being. He learned things. You think when he came out of the room, he was just instantly speaking Aramaic? He learned how to speak, you guys. He learned how to play different games. He got tired. He could bleed. He died. These are all human. He was very human. He was just as human as you and I. But he also had another nature, a divine nature. And this story puts both of those two natures together in one person. Oh, my gosh, Pastor Chris, I have lots of questions about this. Oh, my gosh, how did that actually work? Thank you for thinking that I had the answer to that question. I have no idea how that works, but I know that's what the text is teaching us. It's also a remarkable scene because it shows his compassion for this woman. From her perspective, touch and go was good enough. If I can just touch him, I'll be healed, and she's leaving, and she's, she's fine. But touch and go doesn't work for the Messiah. He wants her to know him. He wants a relation. What would it mean to this woman who was an outcast for Jesus to hunt her down and say to this woman, what does he call her? Daughter. She's in the family. She's in the family. And he wants her to know that. What healed her According to Jesus, her faith. Make sure you get that. Now, the other part of the cookie. Back to Jairus. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus the synagogue leader. So while Jesus is saying, daughter, your faith is healed, while that's happening, some people come from the house of Jairus. Your daughter is dead. While Jesus is saying, daughter, your faith, while that's happening, other people are coming, hey, well, your daughter's dead, Jairus. You see what's happening? They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing this, what they were saying, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. 
Don't be afraid, Jairus. He's saying to the woman, his daughter, your faith, oh, just a second. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Because power happens when you believe. How are you guys doing with that? Just keep going. Verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. That would be proof that these were probably professional mourners. You don't go from weeping and wailing to laughing that quickly. <laughs> they don't really care. In those days, they had professional mourners that would come in. Jairus probably had some money, so that's what was happening. But they don't have any faith in him as the Messiah, so he kicks them out of the house. They're on the outside. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Taliathakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this very, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to say, not to let anyone know about this. He told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus speaks, he touches her, she rises, and then he gives them strict orders not to say anything about this. Scholars refer to this as what they call the messianic secret. He's saying, no, 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 don't tell people about this, that I am who I am. I want people to figure this out on their own. All right, let's go to some lessons for our lives. How can we apply this? No, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. Let's not do that. Because Mark's not done. Because what Mark is trying to demonstrate here is that Jesus is the Messiah. And when you believe that, power, power happens. And when you don't believe that, power, not so much. Because what Mark is doing here, this is not about healings, you guys. This is about the fact that faith powers Jesus' kingdom. And he demonstrates that with an opposite story about people in his hometown. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing. Let me ask you a question. Did the people in his hometown believe that he could do miracles? The answer is, oh, no, no, look, what, look at that. Look at the text. Do they believe that he can do these things? What are these things, these miraculous things that he's doing? They believed that he could do miracles, right? That's what the text is telling us. They believed that. They could see that. They knew what he was doing. Their question wasn't whether he could do these 
amazing things. Their question was, who is this man? He's not the Messiah. He's one of us. Verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of what? Whoa. People in his hometown, they heard his teachings, they knew what he could do, but they were offended because they don't expect the Messiah to come from Nazareth. He's just a carpenter. He has no power. How you guys doing? You following this? And they did not believe, and their lack of faith affected his ability to do miracles. How's verse 5 and 6 stand with you guys? Look at verse 5 and 6. He could do, not do any miracles there. For some of us, that doesn't wash out with our personal theology of Jesus. Like, oh, no, no, no. Well, that must be a mistake in the Bible right there. Jesus could do miracles. He could perform all kinds of things. But he limits himself intentionally to demonstrate to all of us that what powers the kingdom of God is faith. How are you guys doing with this? It's faith. That's what this story, that's what Mark is doing here. Look what he said to Jairus and the woman. What does Jesus say to Jairus? Don't be afraid, just believe. What does Jesus say to the woman? Your faith has healed you. What do the people in his own hometown lack? They lack, and that limits his ability to perform miraculous things. You guys do this? You following me? What Mark is, what, this is not about healing, you guys. This is about Jesus. He's the Messiah. When you believe that, power happens. Because what fuels this kingdom is not money, it's not military, it is now we're ready for some applications, lessons for our lives. So what I decided to do with this message is I decided to kind of break it into two parts. And what I'm going to do now is what I teach the teaching team not to do. Because I'm going to draw some applications that are not from this passage at all. Because I know, even though many of you find what I was teaching kind of interesting and fascinating, what you're really interested in is, does God heal anymore? And does my prayers for healing of my friends make any difference at all? That's probably in the minds of many people in the audience. That's not really what the passage is about. The passage is about what fuels the kingdom of God that Jesus is presenting. Well, that's faith. Your question is, does this still work today, Pastor Chris? This idea of faith. And what's the connection between faith and healing? And I know this is a very sensitive subject. 
because many of us are hugely disappointed with God because we have prayed and prayed and prayed for someone and then they either die or get more sick and it really beats up our own faith. So I thought I would turn to this. I'm only going to spend a few minutes on this. If you're interested in this kind of discussion, here's a book that you might want to get. You can find this uh, on our blog post. And uh, this is a really good book by Philip Yancey, and he deals with this very subject. Let me go few, through a few things. First is this. The first thing to do on faith and healing is to try to avoid falling into two opposite errors. Here are the opposite errors. If divine healing does not happen, it's because of a lack of faith. That's one error. The other error is this. God doesn't heal the day in response to prayers of faith. That's another error. These are two opposite errors. Let me deal with the second one first. God does heal today as we pray and ask him and beseech him to heal people. I've seen this in my own life. People come to our elder board and have us lay our hands on them and pray over them, and we've seen unbelievable things take place because of this. God does heal. The first error, though, is more toxic. And that is, if my friend is not healed, it's because I lacked faith in that. While I was preparing this message, a very good friend of mine lay dying in a hospital in London, England. He was a part of our church for uh, many, uh, many years, probably 10, 12 years. His name is David Morgan. Here's a picture of uh, David uh, that uh, one of his daughters took as he was moving back uh, to London. That's a classic picture of David Morgan right there. He was a graduate from Oxford. He taught at the University of London for many years. He taught here at UW for many years as the director of Middle Eastern Studies. And I can't think of a better picture of David Morgan than that one right there. David's wife, Joanna, worked uh, for several years uh, on our staff working with children in just a wonderful way. David's a good friend. And I joined hundreds of people around the globe praying and praying for David. On Wednesday, October the 23rd, David died. And obviously, something like that was just so, so, I was like, and then I wrestled with God. Why? Why? David was a mentor to me, a good friend. He had many years left in his life. Why? It does not make sense. When you ask the question why, I don't know why. But I'd know David. And the fact that God didn't heal him would not have affected David's faith in God one bit. Because David had confidence in God as a sovereign monarch and a king. I think people from Great Britain have an easier time with this concept than people in America. And a king is answerable to no one. David would have said, even though I am not healed, my faith in the sovereign God is still strong. I don't know why David died, but it wasn't because hundreds of people lacked faith. Second, try to avoid a sense of entitlement, which is part of our culture today because my friend is this way, because I'm this way, God somehow owes it to me. 
I'm entitled that he answer this prayer. God owes us nothing, you guys. He's sovereign. He makes his own decisions. He heals out of grace and mercy, not because we're entitled for him to answer a prayer a certain way. Third, try to understand that the power of faith, power of prayer, has, has limits. Has limits. No prayer has reversed the aging process. No prayer has resurrected someone from the dead so that they never die again. Jairus' daughter was resuscitated. She ate some food. She died, you guys. They could continue to pray for her. She was going to die. People eventually die. No prayer can do all kinds of different things. You can pray all day long that you would walk outside the building and fly to Chicago. That's not going to happen unless you use some kind of machine to help you get there. God has decided to work according to a certain order in things. That order allows us to do science. And science leads to all kinds of medical discoveries, and those medical discoveries leads to the healings of millions of people. Our prayers have limits. Next one. Try to still long for a divine gesture. Philosophers refer to miracles as a special divine actions. I mean, you know, I talk about my son from time to time, teaches philosophy at Mississippi State University. My son refers to miracles as God's gestures. To us, it's a big deal when a healing takes place or when God performs a miracle, but to God, it's a gesture. It's a gesture. He's so powerful. So even though our prayers for our loved ones may not come true like we want them to, still try to still long that God might gesture. These gestures are but glimpses into what is coming when Jesus returns. Because when Jesus returns and the kingdom is established on this earth, we will see more things that will blow our minds. We cannot fathom them. In Revelation 11, we read this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. When this world becomes God's world, all of these Things that we suffer through, all of these things will go away. It will be his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelation 21, we read this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. All God's people said. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we pray all together, come, Lord Jesus.
Come, Lord Jesus. We long for a day when your gestures will be so common. We long for a day when evil will be destroyed. We long for a day when suffering will be destroyed. We long for a day when we will not need faith anymore. It will all be by sight and we'll be able to see with our own eyes so many wonderful things. But until that day, we live by faith. And we pray, Father, that the faith that we have would be the faith that would please you. And we pray, Father, that this faith would be the kind of faith that would grow and that more people would come to know you because of our faith in you. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said.